This week's case is one straight out of a James Bond movie. A tangled web of spies, double agents, an unsolved puzzle, and a private life no one should have ever known about. An investigation that was stifled by red tape and barricades by MI6 and Secret Service. A brilliant life snuffed out, and no one can figure out why. Was it an attempt to cover up government secrets? A Russian assassination? A lover's quarrel gone wrong? Possibly the worst way to commit suicide? Or just an accident caused by a sexual fascination? This is the mysterious death of Gareth Williams. I'm your host, Michael. Welcome to Strange and Unexplained. Thirty-one-year-old Gareth Williams was by all standards a brilliant prodigy. He was born in Wells to parents Ian and Ellen and had a younger sister, Sherry, who you heard in the beginning in a 911 call. By the age of 17, he had graduated from Bagnor University with a first-class degree in maths. First class, from what I can tell, is an American version of, I guess, a bachelor's degree or possibly a master's degree but it's in mathematics. By 21, he had his PhD in computer science and was recruited to work for GCHQ, then seconded to work at MI6 headquarters in London for three years. Now, the GCHQ, if you're unfamiliar, is a British communications intelligence and security organization that is responsible for providing signals, intelligence, information assurance to the government and armed forces of the UK. So Gareth's sister Sherry claimed he was unhappy at MI6 and was planning to cut cut his term short and return to GCHQ in Cheltenham. His former landlady also said she had spoken to Gareth and that he was planning on moving back into his Cheltenham residence in early September of 2010. He was an extremely private person in his personal life and had very few close friends or colleagues. He was an avid lover of biking, rock climbing. He loved being outdoors and staying fit. He was very punctual, never took sick leave. He was extremely organized, neat, and very dependable. Which makes the fact that Gareth was missing for a week before anyone noticed him uh, very unusual. In fact, it was only because his sister raised questions that MI6 finally alerted the police that he had not shown up for work. A uniformed officer was sent to MI6 safe house that Gareth was occupying just to do a wellness check. When he entered the apartment on October 23, 2010, he noticed nothing unusual at first, except that the heat was turned way up. It was hot and it had been it had been hot outside for months, 
meaning there was no need for heat to be on at all. But the officer said it was, quote, sweltering in the flat. The apartment was clean and everything was well organized. However, when he entered the bathroom on the top floor of the flat, things seemed odd. There was a large red duffel bag that was padlocked shut in the bathtub and it was seeping some kind of red liquid. When the bag was opened, inside was the contorted, naked body of Gareth Williams in an advanced state of decay, indicating that Gareth's body had been in the bag for about seven days. The coroner determined he had died around the early morning hours of August 16th. And that's not all the coroner determined. The coroner concluded he was probably killed unlawfully with poisoning and asphyxiation, the foremost contenders. Coroner Dr. Fiona Wilcox said he found the lack, she found the lack of hand and footprints in Mr. Williams' bathroom significant, concluding that a third party moved the bag containing Gareth into the bath. She was also highly critical of the way the police and security services dealt with the death, highlighting mix-ups in DNA and evidence submitted late or mishandled. She speculated that leaks about his private life to the press were an attempt by some third party to manipulate the evidence. And she said security service involvement in his death remained a legitimate line of inquiry. There were no signs of forced entry and no evidence that anyone had been inside the apartment with Gareth. In fact, it seemed the flat had been locked from the outside. The apartment was almost too clean. Not even Gareth's own fingerprints or DNA were found on or in the tub, indicating the area had been wiped clean. The investigation into Gareth's death is riddled with secrets, false leads, bureaucratic red tape, and even negligence on part by the police and MI6. During the early stages of investigation, the ruling on Gareth's cause of death was that he had basically suffocated to death in the back. There was no indication of a struggle, either getting in the bag or even an attempt to get out of the bag. In Garris' apartment, they found 20,000 pounds, and, I, and I'm referring to money, not weight, um, for you Americans like myself, 20,000 pounds worth of women's clothing, along with 26 pairs of designer women's shoes and a woman's wig. And Garris' browser history was shared as well, showing that he had visited bondage sites on occasion. But it was really only like four times. So of course, the jump was made that he had some kind of fetish, possibly uh, claustrophilia, which is defined in Merriam-Webster Medical Dictionary as an abnormal desire for confinement in an enclosed space. So I guess the complete opposite of claustrophobia this has got to be rare, right? But nonetheless, it's a possibility at this time, right? It was also reported that Gareth once had to be rescued by his landlord when he tied himself to the bed and could not get himself untied. Gareth claims that he was practicing escapism for an upcoming mission. However, his landlord believed it was more of a sexual thing. Some theories even make the claim that he was training for some kind of cross-dressing undercover mission. However, I think it is pretty hard to believe that someone who once got stuck to his own bed would, ri would risk even locking himself inside 
anything, let alone a duffel bag, without a way out. Which brings us to the keys of the padlock, which happened to be found underneath Gareth's body, inside the bag, with him. Now, all of that seems like a legit argument, right? Except for the fact that this guy was a spy working for MI6, and he was working with the American Secret Service. He was also not reported missing for an entire week. In any regular job, that might be okay, but for someone who works with top-secret information for the government, that seems kind of sketchy to me. You would think that their employer would keep a very close eye on their attendance, so by not reporting Gareth missing, MI6 made itself, at least to me, look like a very liable suspect. And I'm not alone on that. It also revealed that Gareth had hacked a party list for an event attended by former U.S. President Clinton. He allegedly did this as a favor to a friend who was attending the event. Gareth even missed two big meetings that one week, where he was supposed to be a key speaker. He also missed a meeting with a former co-worker from GCHQ. So these are places where he should have been. It's not like he's going to work and sitting by his own desk, doing his own thing, keeping his head down, clocking out at the end of the day and going home, or working on a private mission. He had people that he was supposed to meet with, people he was supposed to speak in front of. And yet his disappearance was still not brought up for that entire week. Never never spoken about to the police or anyone. Until his sister got involved, nothing happened. So the co-worker was supposed to meet Gareth at his flat. This is the former co-worker from GCHQ. He was supposed to meet Gareth at his flat to discuss the possibility of taking over the flat when Gareth left, but he couldn't get in touch with him. So after all that, MI6 still failed to report him missing, or even try to contact him themselves. The investigation into Gareth's death may never reveal the truth, mainly because of an inability to investigate by the police because of MI6. The detective leading Gareth's case was not given access to Gareth's work office or colleagues. Instead, she was given only what SO15 conveyed to her. This was done for security. SO15, which is the country's national counterterrorism force, acted as a liaison between Scotland Yard, which is the British police, and MI6. There was even evidence brought out during the official inquest into Gareth's death that the detective was unaware of, meaning it was never passed on to the police. Then there is a five-hour window between when Sherry called to inquire about Gareth and when someone from MI6 called the police, leaving many to believe it gave MI6 time to visit the flat and clean, and maybe even turn on the heat to speed up decomposition. The coroner said there was no proof of involvement by MI6, but that it, quote, remained a legitimate line of inquiry in regards to their involvement with his death and covering it up. She also rejected the ideas of suicide, cross-dressing, interest in bondage, or autoerotic activity as being the causes of Gareth's death. She did state that his death was not an accident and that his death was, quote, criminally meditated and that he was, quote, unlawfully killed. 
The lack of fingerprints or DNA on and around the tub meant Gareth did not enter the bag himself, at least not willingly or while it was in the tub, indicating that a third party had to be involved. She did say that due to the advanced level of decomposition and due to the circumstances around Gareth's death, a lot of evidence was lost. Any evidence of struggle would have been gone, like bruises or scratches, and the toxicology would be unreliable at best. Had Gareth been found within the first few days of him missing, more may have been extracted from the scene. However, after all of this, Gareth's death was still determined to be, quote, probably an accident in 2013. So after hearing all of these facts and all the circumstances, I'm sure that you guys, like me, would like to hear from these from these uh, agencies, being MI6, Scotland Yard, and, and whoever else could be of assistance, right? Well, I found an interview done by Channel 4 News um, in England, and it is with Colin Sutton, who was the chief investigator for the case, um, also with Kim Howes, who is Intel Security Chair uh, with MI6, and also Annie Michon, who is an ex MI5 officer. And, well, I'll let you guys hear them hash it out. I'm a senior investigating officer for the Met Police's murder squad, Colin Sutton, and the former chairman of the Intelligence and Security Committee, Kim Howells, joins us from Cardiff. So, Colin Sutton, I believe you were there on the night that Gareth Williams was reported missing. You took the call. Um, clearly, justice has not been done for his family. Who do you believe was to blame? Well, I think the, 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 there are a number of factors that have contributed to the, the rather unsatisfactory position we find ourselves in. Uh, it was clear from the night I was asked to attend, on, on the night that uh, Gareth Williams was found, uh, that there was a possibility of, of some tension between the security services and, and the police, and indeed in between uh, various parts of the Metropolitan Police. Uh, my, my brief was to go down there and make sure that the homicide team took primacy in the investigation. And it seems to me that uh, 20 months on, we don't seem to have really resolved that problem and that tension. Kim Howes, let's focus on MI6's failure to report uh, the spy missing for, for a week. I mean, how, how much is MI6 failing to blame for this, do you think? Well, it's hard, it's hard to know what Gareth Williams was involved in, of course. He, he may have been on some kind of operation where he was, he was not expected to come into, into Vauxhall Cross, the headquarters of the, of the Secret Intelligence Service. But, but it seems from Sir John Sawyer's apology that that wasn't the case and that it was simply that his line manager didn't take the action that he should have taken. But it's... It's one of the uh, one of the mysteries of this of this whole case. I mean, it seems as if it's ridden with inconsistencies and doubts. Do you think MI6 is guilty of incompetence or, or worse? Well, I don't know. I, they're not an incompetent organisation. They're a superbly professional organisation, but they hear something seems to have gone very wrong, and. Um, and I think there, there, there are lots of things that have got to be investigated further. Who leaked this information about uh, Gareth Williams's private life, even if it's true? Uh, this was a murder inquiry, or, or at least it was an inquiry of a, of a death that looked like a murder. And, and yet, 
And yet somebody was leaking this stuff constantly. You know, was it a dirty tricks operation by some, some agents of some other country? Or, or was it some policeman who was in the pay of some media uh, empire or something? Who knows? But whatever it was, it shouldn't have happened. I mean, this, Colin, is, this is something which should have, been, should have been kept back as evidence. Colin Sutton, what do you think about the leaks about his private life? Uh, I don't know either. Um, it, it's it's a, an unfortunate fact of life that, uh, that, that snippets of information about investigations of all sorts do get leaked, uh, sometimes mischievously, sometimes just carelessly. Uh, we don't know how that, how that happened. What about the counter-terrorism uh, officers, though? I mean, obviously, there were these memory sticks that mm. weren't passed on to the police investigating. Yeah. There was the, the fact that there were no signed witness statements. I mean, the, that particular... The SO15, that particular branch of the police, are as culpable as, as MI6 and all these mix-ups well, and muddle-ups? Yes, I, mean, I, I think I agree. You know, we, we've got three very competent organisations in the security services, SO15 and the Homicide and Serious Crime Directorate. From my point of view as, as a former police officer, I'm just staggered that the two branches of the Metropolitan Police in this case, SO15 and the Homicide and Serious Crime Command, don't seem to have talked to each other. Uh, the senior investigating officer needed to know of the existence of these memory sticks and the existence of this bag, even if she weren't uh, to be allowed to have access to the full contents. The fact that she only found out in the witness box at an inquest that they existed is scandalous. Well, I just want to bring in Annie Maschon now, who from Germany, the author and ex-MI5 officer. What do you read into these uh, failings by MI6? What do you make of it? Well, I think it's a tragedy for the family because of all these mistakes, they probably will never know what actually happened to their son and to their brother. But I do think it's sort of emblematic to a certain extent about how MI6 and the other British spy communities um, tend to treat uh, the law. They seem to think they're above British justice quite often and they can hide behind the, the Official Secrets Act and the catch-all phrase of national security so that they are never held to account. So the very fact that you have a situation where they withhold vital evidence which would have been demanded from any other organisation by the police is, I think, scandalous and also, as I said, a tragedy for the family because they will never know what happened to Gareth. Kim Howells, do you think the Secret Services are above justice? No, I don't think they're above justice, but I do think that we're going through a, a very, very important period in the history of the security services in this country where society is demanding much more transparency and openness. And whether, they've, whether they understand that and they've learned that lesson or not, I don't know. And, and also, of course, we've got to ask ourselves as a society if it's, if it's right that all secrets... Uh, if you like, must be abolished and that they must open, they must, they must work completely openly. I don't think you can do that with security services. I think that there have to be secrets, but, but in a case like this, there seems to me to be no excuse whatsoever for, for the various agencies investigating a death like this, not passing information to each other as quickly and as honestly as possible. Congress. Yeah, I mean, I mean the, the, there is a need for openness and it may well be that certain organisations within this country are slower to pick that up. Uh, there must be secrets, but there shouldn't be secrets that don't need to be kept. And that's, that's the answer here. Somebody within the Metropolitan Police should have had access, should have the clearance to have access to whatever was on those memory sticks. That information should have been shared and then filtered so that the things that were going to be or potentially could have been vital to the investigation into what happened to Gareth Williams were given to the senior investigating officer and the secrets could remain secret. And that's what should have happened.
Annie Matron, aren't we talking about incompetence by the Secret Services rather than anything more sinister? Well, I think certainly we're looking at a dereliction of care for one a member of their staff. The fact they didn't even seem to notice that Gareth hadn't turned up for work for about a week. Um, and also, it seems very obvious that he was um, unhappy with his secondment in MI6. So all these sort of issues should have pe been picked up by his staff, and they weren't. So for him, you know, for any organisation, for a member of staff not to show up for work for a whole week would be unusual and would cause concern. But for a secret organisation and a member of staff who's working on very sensitive operations, I think it's, um, it is a scandal. I mean... MI6 always makes great, uh, great noise about protecting national security and needing to protect national security and keeping itself secret and uh, never revealing anything about its work. But then they don't seem to necessarily have a proper duty of care towards their staff and also perhaps towards their agents. And I do think um, Mr. Howells is right to a certain extent that they need to think about moving towards greater transparency in this country because, of course, they are the most legally protected and most unaccountable of public agencies. And I think democracy is shifting and um, transparency is being forced on some of these organisations to a greater extent by whistleblowers and WikiLeaks and things like that. They need to catch up. Um, but again, it comes back to this sort of tragedy for this, this family. Kim Howes, uh, the Met Police is investigating rendition in Libya. That will involve probing MI5 and MI6. Are they up to the job? Uh, well, I, it's hard to say, really. I mean, we elect people to positions in order to, because we trust them. And, and if, if it's always said that, that elected individuals can't do the job, that it's got to be done either by lawyers, by judges, or by police officers, then it's a kind of indictment of democracy. And I just don't believe that. I think we, we, sometimes you've got to trust people, but we, ha we have to be sure about the systems. Annie's quite right. Society is changing. It's demanding far, far greater transparency than it did previously. And we have to have the mechanisms there that are going to ensure that. Colin, son, just briefly, what yeah. is your best guess about what happened? My best guess is that somebody else was involved. Uh, my best guess is it probably didn't involve his job. Uh, it was probably something else. Um, but c can I just make one point, I think, that on, on what Mr Howe said? The Metropolitan Police are definitely up to the job of, inve uh, of investigating anything at all, but they need to be allowed to investigate and they need to be allowed access to the information which will make that investigation a thorough one. Colin Sutton, Annie Mashon, Kim Howes, thank you very much all for joining us. I think the chief of police or the chief of investigation there uh, worded that very well. The, the fact was not that it wasn't investigated properly. The fact was that there was no cooperation between the chief, but between the police and MI6. So police had to believe that he'd gotten in the bag himself and could not get out and accidentally suffocated to death. Now, however, that does not explain why the heat, why the heat in the flat was turned on in the middle of summer. During a demonstration in court, an expert on small spaces tried to lock him. I don't even know what that is, right? An expert on small spaces? What? How do you become that? Anyways, uh, was he a contortionist? I don't freaking know. But during a demonstration in court, he tried to lock himself in the same kind of bag apparently 400 times. I don't know. Oh my God, that must have been the most boring court procedure ever. But he tried... And he could not lock it. He could not lock the lock 
because you see, you know, you have the two zippers, right? They, they zip in both directions. The zippers were close together enough to put a padlock in there and then lock those zippers together. That, that's what happened. And this, this gentleman could not do it. However, other people have been able to recreate the same scene and been successful. And those videos are on YouTube. You guys can go check those out. Uh, I don't know. You can search person locks themselves in duffel bag, whatever. If you search, uh, if you just search Gareth Williams, you're going to find those videos. But it has been done. People have done it. Meaning, theoretically, he could have accidentally killed himself. Right? I mean, that theory, to me, I guess, is better than the Russians did it. Right? <laughs> I mean, everybody just blames everything on the Russians, but they may have. Right? Because after Garrett's death, a former Russian agent claims that the Russian mafia was responsible and that he was not the only British spy killed recently by the Russian government. Eventually, it was brought to light that Gareth was working with the NSA, tracking money laundering that may have included organizations used by the Russian mafia. The agent also claimed that Gareth was killed because he would not become a double agent. Allegedly, Gareth was approached by Russian spies, and when they tried to blackmail him into working for them, Gareth revealed that he knew who the spy was at GCHQ. But why would fuck would he do that? I'm sorry, excuse my French. Why would he do that to Russian spies? That that makes no sense. Well, I mean, I guess they're Russian spies, right? So he wouldn't know. And I, I guess I answered my own question. Either way, someone who works in MI6, I feel like would have more would have more sense than that. But this was the reason, you know, allegedly, this was the reason he was then killed. So he could not reveal the spy's identity. Of course, all this is just speculation and has never been substantiated. So, with all that on the table, still, we have no idea what happened. Will we ever know who put Gareth in that bag? Did he get in it himself? Was he a casualty of the Russian mafia? Did he uncover something MI6 did not want him to know? It's just funny. A man who spent his life breaking ciphers and cracking codes leaves behind a puzzle no one may ever be able to solve. No one, that is, except for maybe Lorne. Let's check in with him on this week's Lorne Synopsis. It's time for Lauren. It's time for Lauren Synopsis. Breaking down the case like. Breaking down the case like cardboard boxes. It's time for Lauren. It's time for Lauren Synopsis. Breaking down the case like. Breaking down the case like cardboard boxes. It's time for Lauren. It's time for Lauren Synopsis. Breaking down the case like. Breaking down the case like cardboard boxes. What's up, people? Lauren here, here to get my thoughts on this week's Strange and Unexplained, the very strange death of Gareth Williams, uh, MI6 agent over in England. Brilliant man, had basically the same title as James Bond. Um, he was found dead in his flat in 2010 in beyond bizarre circumstances inside of a big red North Face duffel bag with it zipped up with a padlock on the outside. And after reinvestigation by the Metropolitan Police over in England, he was found to have had, quote, probably an accident, 
quite an accident there. Um, Houdini, Houdini himself couldn't have even have pulled this off. There's no way you could cram yourself into that bag as a full-grown man, have it zipped all the way up and lock it from the outside, have it locked on the outside from the inside. You would have, uh, you would have passed out by then from loss, uh, lack of oxygen and uh, inhalation of carbon dioxide. So impossible. Um, he was clearly murdered, and he was a man that had his hands in a lot of different affairs. Um, he was involved with the Americans, uh, with the FBI, with the CIA. He was involved, obviously, with the British Secret Service. He was uh, part of the Five Eyes network of spies um, in English-speaking countries, uh, trying to cut nip terrorism in the bud. He was in, he was diving into all kinds of Russian affairs, allegedly, uh, with their banking and the money they were moving around for terrorism. Um this, this is a man that easily could have been murdered by a Russian assassin, and it looks as though it was a professional hit, the way it was done, the way his body was crammed in a bag like that. There were scrape marks on the side of the tub, leading you to believe that he was already in the bag and lifted and kind of pushed into the bathtub. And the fact that the heat was turned up in the, in the flat, and just the thought, the forethought to put, in, uh, to put him in the bathtub where the stench of the decomposition would go down the drain of the bathtub and allow in a flat to not be found for a week. Now that didn't look good to me on the British's part, him working for the secret service and being this all important man. And he doesn't show up to work for a week. No call, no show to work for a week before you guys find him or before he's found. How, how is it not the first day? You know, this has been talked about a lot. Um, how is it not the first day that he doesn't show up that you're not like kind of looking for him? And he's basically lived in a, a safe house flat right next to the Secret Service Agency. So all they had to do was send someone over to knock on the door and, and, and go look for him. Um, also, it seems as though they put, a lot of, uh, they put a lot of stuff out there about him being into bondage, about this big collection of women's shoes that he had. Um, and they kind of try to lead you down this road where it's like he had some kind of a secret life and maybe he had an accident with a sexual partner and the partner put him in this bag and in the tub to cover it up i don't buy it for a second um i think he was he was murdered uh, because he was either deemed a security threat to one of the countries he was working for or with or he was killed by the russians because they were they got nervous about what he was going to expose so that's my thoughts on this week's case hope you guys enjoy it see you next time all right there you have it it's a murder straight from lauren's mouth <laughs> See, that is why I have the Lauren synopsis on here. I know I say this every week, but Lauren always brings another point of view. We're a team. We work together. And But one thing he stated in there, I don't know if you guys caught it or not, but he talked about the scrape marks on the bathtub. I'm guessing on the ledge of the bathtub where it looked like the box, I mean, the bag had been slidden into the bathtub. Uh, I didn't know about that. I must have overlooked that in my research somehow. Uh, but that's crucial, obviously. Although scrape marks going into a bathtub, I feel like that could that could have already been there. But nonetheless, it's a clue, right? I mean, it could be. I mean, I feel like my bathtub has scrapes on it from where I have uh, gave my dog a bath, and then he like freaks out, either getting in or getting out. Um, but I I don't I don't know. I don't think. Uh, Gareth didn't seem like the type of person to have an animal, but this was just a flat that he was temporarily in. Um, he was stationed in this safe flat uh, by MI6. And it was um, another thing that Lauren mentioned that I'm, 
I can't remember if I've mentioned it so far on the episode or or not, but his flat was less than a mile from MI6 headquarters. So it wasn't right next door, but it was less than a mile. I mean, someone could have walked over there, right? So guys, that's the case of uh, Gareth Williams. Strange case. There's a lot more that you can look into, and I'm sure there's a lot of other uh, speculative ideas that you can find uh, through Reddit and things like that. Um, but it's hard to find any more concrete evidence on this for obvious reasons. Uh, if this was a hit of that of that stature, um, then that makes sense as to why this stuff would be kept hidden, kept secret. Um, but either way, I believe this case needs to get out there and people need to know about it. So guys, thank you for listening as always. And if you want to talk about this case, you know, you can comment here on, uh, I mean, you can comment on Patreon down below this post if you're a patron. That's uh, patreon.com slash podcast. You would get this release early. On Thursdays, I release on Patreon. And then the following Monday is released on free platforms. Um, but that's patreon.com slash podcast. And I also have another show on there. It's called the Palette Cleanser Podcast. It's just kind of a, it's exactly what it sounds like. You listen to some true crime, um, can't get it out of your head, feel terrible about the world. You can listen to the Palette Cleanser Podcast and kind of allows you to sleep at night, right? I also got a new show that I just released um, this week, or well, last week. Now, if you're hearing this on the free platform on Monday, um, what's today's date here? Hold on, let me let me be precise, okay? I released it on May 27th, the first episode of Strange Shorts. And it's just um, short cases that I come across. They don't have a whole lot of information to them, but they are very strange and very interesting nonetheless. So they are on Patreon as well. Um, well, while we're talking about Patreon, let me give a shout out to a few new patrons that we've had in the last week. I'd like to welcome aboard Adam Lapping, uh, Erica Marie Flores, and Jennifer Munoz. Thank you guys so much for everything you do. Um, Let's see, Adam and Jennifer, you jumped in on the $5 tier. Thank you so much. You guys will be getting your um, official Strange and Unexplained stickers in the mail very soon. Uh, And you can only get them at the $5 tier. And another thing that's with the $5 tier is you get video access. Um, if I, if I, hopefully in the future, I'm going to try to video a lot of the recording process and put it up. Uh, but for now, I'm just putting up little behind the scenes stuff. Or maybe I'll just put up a short episode talking about a documentary, a crime documentary that I watched or something I read about or something in that vein. But just trying to stay connected. All right, and another way you can help the show, guys, if you can't afford the monthly uh, payment on Patreon, no big deal. Guys, if you can't, whatever you listen on, whether it be iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever, please go leave a review. Um, that really helps the show. Tell your friends about it. It, it just helping spread the word. Following us on social media, at S&U Podcast, on Instagram and on Twitter. Give us a follow on there. Hit me up. If you got a case suggestion, send me a message or tweet at me. Instagram, whatever you can do. Um, I we I love to get back with with uh, listeners as well as um, 
as hear your case suggestions. Of course, I want to do things that you guys want to hear. All right. So while we're on the topic of this, let me uh, shout out some new reviewers. All right. Let's see. From the U.S., we got uh, one rogue left a five-star review, says, keep it up, dog. I will do my very best, sir. Um, and Melly Lowe, or ma'am, I'm sorry. Uh, and Melly Lowe, five-star review, said, loving the new podcast, also a TCG fan. Keep up the great work. Of course, I will. You know, it's funny with podcasts that people feel like inclined that they have to say that. I don't feel like people are like, reaching out to their favorite music artist, and they're like, oh, I love your new album. Keep it up. I don't know. Maybe they are, but I just don't feel like they are. I guess podcasts seem fleeting nowadays, right? People don't have the commitment to keep them going. I was talking to my wife about that the other day. But anyways, uh, I also got some reviews here from the UK. My first reviews from the UK. Um, Samantha Natflaw said, five-star review, a pause for thought moment. I love the True Crime Guys podcast. That is how I found this podcast. Thank you for giving listeners a great opportunity to listen to you explore topics from a different angle. Right? That was my whole goal, is to give you a different, a different method of podcast, a different point of view, a different style. Right? You don't want to release another podcast and it's exactly the same. Right? What's the point? Um, and also, Amor Sarah. She says, five-star, unusual and interesting cases. Love this podcast. Has the same thoughtful, insightful consideration of cases as True Crime Guys. Thank you so much. Fire emojis as well. Appreciate that. And guys, if you don't know what they're talking about, we're talking about True Crime Guys. That is where I started podcasting with my good friend, Lorne, who you heard in the synopsis. Um, It's more of a conversational style. We shoot the breeze a little bit. Sometimes we get off topic. Sometimes people get frustrated, but it is what it is, right? <laughs> we have fun. And guys, I, I try to have fun with this podcast as well. I try not to take myself too serious. Um, I'm not perfect. I, I mean, I know no one is, but I just want to get these cases out there in the best way that I know how. And guys, again, I thank you for listening. If you have any suggestions, please hit me up. So until next week, guys, be strange. Just don't be a stranger.